There's great words in that song, isn't it? Forget the tune. The words are absolutely amazing. The tune's good too, but uh, we're going to sing that at the end because I believe that God wants to do something this morning in all of our hearts that is going to radically change us and bring us into a new place in God. I really felt um, after we finished uh, before Easter, I really, really felt that God was saying to continue to think about, about this um, this situation where David brought up the ark. And you'll remember last time that we looked at how it had all gone wrong. We know that David loved God's presence. And we know that because he longed for God's presence, he wanted to bring the ark of God up to Jerusalem. So that's what we're going to look at today. And I really feel today that this is a message that could change your life. I know we say that quite often, but I really do believe God's word can change your life. And I felt an opposition against this word. So that gives me encouragement that actually God wants to do something radical in our hearts through this. So let's believe it. Let's perk ourselves up, set up, be ready. Be ready to receive because I believe that God actually wants to do something very, very radical and very, very real. You know, very often whenever we, whenever we feel that God is about to do something in our lives, and we feel we've had encouragement from him and we feel we've had a word from him and we're ready for it. Have you ever noticed that it's very often just at that time that things get really tough? And it's like, hey, I thought this was coming into a new season. This is, this is really, really hard. And, and I felt that at the end of the end of the year, I felt God was really encouraging me that I was coming into a new season, coming into my 72nd birthday. And I felt like God said, you know, break them up into 12s, 12 breaks into 72. And I looked over the different 12 years in my life and, and I really was excited. I felt this is the beginning of another 12. And I felt encouraged that it was going to be, that it was going to be years of plenty. And yet I have found it the opposite. I've found it like I'm pushing against something, like something's coming against me. And you know what? It reminds me that when God gives us a promise, we have an enemy who doesn't want it to come to pass. So if you're getting it tough, you need to remind yourself that God must be on the job. That's why the enemy's coming in to discourage you and try and push you back. And so this is what happened to David. Because David, we've looked over the last weeks and we've seen that he knew that God had established him to be king. We've looked at that word established so often and, and how he had broken through the Philistines and had won the battles and everything was going great and he was coming into this whole new season as king. And then all of a sudden we find he goes to do what would seem to be the right thing. He wants to bring the presence of the Lord, the Ark of the Covenant. He wants to bring it out of the house of Abinadab and he wants to bring it up to Jerusalem. He wants to bring God's presence into the heart of the community. That has to be a good thing. And yet it all went terribly wrong. And we looked at this last time how uh, one of the men, Uzzah, was driving, they put the, the Ark of God on a cart. And remember we saw how the, the Ark shook and uh, he went to steady it and he was... He was struck dead and, and we saw how David became afraid that day, he became afraid of God. And not only was he afraid, but he was angry. It says he was angry and afraid. And you know, sometimes in our lives, when things don't go the way we thought they would go, we can get confused and angry and even afraid in the wrong sense. There's a health, healthy fear of God, but sometimes we can have an unhealthy feeling of fear in our lives that is not what God wants for us. And all God wanted was for David to do it God's way. There was a proper order. There was a way to move the ark. And they weren't 
doing it God's way. And sometimes in life, we do things and we expect God to bless us. And maybe God's just trying to teach us and to bring us into a new level of moving in his way. But in any case, this was a big disappointment to David. And, and we saw last time that uh, he put, instead of taking the ark with him up to Jerusalem, he put the ark into the house of a man called Obed-Edom. This man, it says in the New Living Translation, it says that he was from Gath, Edom, Edom, Odom, Edom, Odom, Edom, Adam, Odom, Edom. <laughs> <laughs> was a, he was a, he was known as some of your translations might say he was a Gittite, or it, it means as far as I understand that he came from a place called Gath. He was a Gittite, and uh, I remember somebody uh, preaching years ago and saying that when David put the ark into the house of the Gittite, he didn't know that the that Odom Edom oh. oh I've got to say that the wrong way now. I keep saying it the wrong way. <laughs> that Obed Edom, he didn't know that he was a Gittite and he was going to get the blessing. <laughs> so you see, we need God's presence if we want to get the presence. If we're going to become a Gittite, who wants to be a Gittite? I want to be one that gets the blessing. So he put it into this man's house uh, and, um, and disappointed and disillusioned <coughs> David and his men went up to Jerusalem without the ark and they left it in this house. And for three months, David uh, must have sat and mused and reflected on what had happened and thought over, what's this all about? Have you ever done it? Have you ever wondered why, why are things not going for me? What's wrong? He must, have, he must have been thinking a lot about what happened. And I think I'm allowing myself a little bit of of liberty here to use my imagination but here's what I'm thinking during those three months I believe that that David must have started to think about why was the ark of God in the house of Abinadab in the first place the house the ark of God was always meant to be in the tabernacle of Moses that's what God had said and so, ladies, I felt that God was saying to me, you can't just run on past this. You've got to go back and look and see why was the, why was the Ark of God in the house of Abinadab in the first place? What had happened before? And we're going to do that right now, and I hope it's going to be simple for you. But way back, almost approximately 70 years before, Israel had sinned. Israel had sinned. I need to just remind you what the tabernacle was and what the ark was. The tabernacle was a tent. Uh, it was called a tabernacle, but it was another word for the tabernacle is space or home. It was a place that God told. Do you remember at the very beginning, whenever Adam and Eve sinned, uh, God covered their sin with the blood of an animal, and a sacrificial uh, uh, animals were sacrificed. Their blood was shed for our sin right up to the time of Moses. And God then gave Moses uh, this word that he was to make a tabernacle and that the tabernacle was to be a portable tent and that God was going to live there and he was going to actually dwell in a little box which was called the Ark of the Covenant uh, or the Ark of God. And this little box was made of wood and it was covered in gold and inside it had the commandments. And this was where God was going to meet with humanity. 
And he also told Moses to make these priests, and the priests were to come from the tribe of Levi. And the priests were to come, and one of the things that they were supposed to do as they approached God was when they came into the tabernacle, they were to sprinkle blood on top of the mercy seat. They were to put it in lots of other places, but just for today, I want you to remember that the ark had to be sprinkled with the, the blood of an animal as they approached God. And so, uh, this little box, believe it or not, was a, an amazing picture of Jesus Christ because if you think of the box being made of wood, wood speaks of humanity. If you speak of it being covered with gold, gold speaks of deity, of God. And if you think of the Ten Commandments inside the ark, you see there's Jesus, he's a man, but he's God, and inside he fulfilled the law of God without ever sinning once. Perfect man. So the ark was a picture of Jesus Christ, and the ark was in the tabernacle, and God wanted, he wanted to be present with his people so badly that this was the plan, that he would travel with them. And the whole way through the desert, this portable tent went up and down, wherever they stopped, they put up the tabernacle and the t- with the ark inside and they worship God. Because God's always wanted to be present with his people. And David had written in Psalm 16 that in the presence of God there is fullness of joy. And, and we long for his presence because nothing else satisfies us. We were made, we were created to glorify God. We were created to be part of and to be, to be involved with the Godhead. Isn't that amazing that God wanted us to be one with him? He's always wanted our company. He's always wanted your company. And we are desperate for God's presence because we were made for God's presence and nothing else will satisfy us. But the enemy does not want us to enjoy the fullness of joy that there is for us through God's presence. And so this mercy seat was the place in the Old Testament where they came and and at the mercy seat they could find, the priests were able to stand between God and man and they sprinkled the blood over the mercy seat and God forgave so that they could come close. And of course it all pictures to Jesus, what Jesus was going to do when he shed his blood became the final sacrifice so that we could once and for all be brought right into the very bosom of the Father. And Sunday night here, uh, Alan, young Alan Emerson spoke and you know he blessed me so much. He talked about how Jesus was in the bosom of the Father. And that's an old fashioned word but it's it means that Jesus, who declared God, he came and he actually, that's where he lived, was in the bosom of the Father. And, and Alan gave the invitation that that's what God wants, where he wants us. We are in Christ and we should be really resting in that bosom of the Father. That place of rest and that place of being loved in the very presence of God. God wants us to experience that. He wants us to know what that really means. And so in Leviticus 16, you'll see how the priest sprinkled. You'll see in, in Hebrews 10, it talks about the sprinkling of blood as well. And so the Old Testament, as you all know, the Old Testament was all about pointing forward to what Jesus was going to do for us. And all that God's ever wanted was to be one with us. Remember the, the, the prayer that Jesus prayed in Psalm 17 before he went to the cross? Father, that we might be one. That we might be one, not only with each other, but with us. That is the heart of God, that we would enjoy his presence. 
and that we would be with him and he would be with us. So why was the ark, and uh, why was it not in the tabernacle where God had said it should have been? What happened? Well, we need to look back in order to find out what happened. We need to look back to First Samuel and we need to look back to chapter 4. And we're not going to read a whole lot here. I just want to tell you the story. Because in First Samuel 4, we read about how uh, the, the Philistines had captured the ark. Here's the story. When Israel first entered the land of Israel, they pitched the tabernacle in a place called Shiloh. Now, we go to Israel most years, and this past three or four years, we've made a point of going to Shiloh. And I tell you, it's, they've found lots of archaeological stuff that believe it's the, it's the site where the, the tabernacle was pitched. And some of these girls are smiling because the last time we went, there was like a hush came over us. None of us could leave it. We just felt such a sense. Isn't that right, girls? Such a sense of God's presence. And the Ark of the Covenant was at Shiloh for years. But do you remember the story? You, you remember, it's referred to whenever Hannah went up in 1 Samuel. Remember, she went up to Shiloh to ask Eli the priest if, if God would give her a child, give her a son. Do you remember that story? Well, that's where she went to. She went up to Shiloh and she went up to an old priest called Eli. And do you remember Eli thought she was drunk and all the rest of it? And God answered her prayer and Samuel was born and she dedicated him to the Lord. But in that story, if you read on, you will read that Eli did not discipline his own sons. And Eli was a priest and his sons were priests and his sons were wicked. I mean, they were wicked boys. And uh, eventually they went out into the field to, f to fight with the Philistines and they brought the Ark of the Covenant with them. And because they were so wicked, God allowed the Philistines to capture the Ark. And the Ark was taken away from Israel, so it was no longer in the tabernacle, it was now with the Philistines. Now if you read on, we haven't time to read it, but love you to read it when you go home. If you read on, you'll see that the Philistines, of course, they didn't know how to handle God's presence, they didn't know how to handle the Ark. So uh, God, bad things began to happen to them, and in fact it says that, that God gave them tumours, um, and they were in a place that you wouldn't want to get a tumour. In fact, I'm not sure if it's the word is tumour or haemorrhoid, but it was, it says in their, in their private places, and they, there was just lots and lots, they did not want, they very soon began to realise, we can't handle this ark, we need to get rid of it. So they put the ark onto a new cart, and they sent it off with oxen that had never driven a cart before. Total miracle that they, that they actually even brought the ark, it, was, it proved to the Philistines that, that God was real. And the, these, two, these two oxen took the ark straight up to Beth Shemesh where the Israelites were. And Israel, the Israelites were jubilant whenever the ark arrived. It arrived in this cart. And they were dancing and jubilant that the ark had arrived. But you know what they did? They were so foolish. They didn't know or they didn't remember or they did just decided not to be bothered. But they didn't treat the ark of God the way they should have. They were neg negligent. Can you say that word? And they took, they opened the ark. Now, I want you to think about this. When they opened the ark, what did they lift up? What was the top of the ark? The top of the ark was the mercy seat. The mercy seat was the lid. It was the top of the ark. So when they opened up the lid, it says that they looked in. Now, when they looked in, what were they looking into? What did I say was inside the ark? The what? Commandments. The commandments, that's right. 
So they, they, instead of approaching through the mercy seat, they lifted up the mercy seat and they looked straight into the commandments. And they were struck dead because, you know what, Paul tells us uh, in Romans, he tells us that the commandments killed without God's blood and God, God's mercy. We wouldn't be able to stand before God. And so there was a mass slaughter that day. And Israel became afraid of God that day. And they, because they hadn't, they hadn't uh, approached the ark in the proper way, and, and so many of them died. And then they were so afraid that they put the ark into this house of Abinadab. That's where it stayed for 70 years. It stayed for 70 years in that house until David came and tried to bring it up the first time. And when, whenever he went up to Jerusalem, he must have felt this is history repeating itself. He must have felt, what's wrong? What, what are we doing wrong? What's wrong that we can't enjoy God's presence? 70 years. And it tells us in 1 Samuel, if you read around those chapters 4, 5 and 6 when you go home, if you read you'll see that it says, I think it's chapter, I think it's chapter 7 verse 1, it says that Israel mourned because the ark was no longer with them. So it wasn't in the tabernacle where they, they could have approached it and enjoyed it. It was in somebody's house and for 70 years Israel was bereft of the ark and the presence of God among them. And those, actually those years were not Israel's finest years. Those were the years that they turned to Saul and they turned. Do you know what? Whenever we get things wrong, something goes wrong, circumstance, problem, and maybe, maybe we just haven't, maybe we're just not in sync with God. We're sinful people. We get things wrong. Whenever that happens, do you know what, what, hap- what eventually starts to happen in our lives? We begin to feel a distance from God. We begin to feel a bit down. We begin to feel um, discontented. Then condemnation comes in. And before we know it, we're really feeling distanced and away from God. And we realise that we're not living in a joyful way at all. We're actually beginning to get a bit, I believe we can actually get a bit depressed. I believe that we can, the, the, it says that, that Israel mourned, or in other words it's used as lamented. And do you know, even as Christians, whenever we sin and we keep going on or we just get things wrong or something that comes in and grieves us and we have negative emotions, negative emotions are so big in our lives, girls, they make such a big effect on us. And whenever we experience those negative emotions, so often, instead of running to God, we kind of step back a little bit. And before we know, we aren't aware of God's presence anymore. And we begin to feel that lack of comfort. And we try to substitute God's presence with some other kind of comfort. And that's what happens whenever people turn to a little bit of, little drink of wine at night and maybe another one and another one. Or something else would be overeating. You know, there's something inside us sometimes that's just needing comfort. Isn't that right? And God is the God of all comfort. And instead of turning to him, very often we turn to other things. And sometimes it's because we're anxious about something. And and somehow we kind of pray to God about it, but we haven't really been able to roll it on to God. So we're still carrying the anxiety. And and all of this negative stuff is going on in in our bodies and in our minds and in our hearts. And then these, this all leads to, eventually it leads to unbelief where we begin to realise, I'm not actually believing that God can do anything here anyway. 
And, and then you can kind of slip from there into just a kind of loss of power and loss of purpose in your life. Now, is there anybody that agrees with me that that can happen? Because I'll tell you, I find it happening. I've found that's what's been happening to me over these past weeks, even from we met last time, just that sense of, of just not, not quite enjoying God's presence and not sure actually what has gone wrong. And you know, the day that, that, that Uzzah died, the day that, that David tried to bring the ark up and the man put his hand to the ark, you know what David said? He said, how can the ark of God come to me? He began to doubt that God could actually be close to him. David, the one who knew him from a little boy, the one who danced in the fields and worshipped him and said the Lord was his shepherd. Listen, we're all prone to this. The enemy will try to find a way to bring some shade of darkness into your understanding and into your heart and your soul. And this is why we need to walk in the light. This is why we need to encourage each other because God wants us to enjoy his presence. And God, God has sent his son Jesus to pay the price to shed his blood and his blood has been shed on the mercy seat and we can come boldly to the throne of grace for help in time of need because it's been paid for legally it is our right and our privilege to be able to enjoy God's presence and so we see that that David must have felt when he was up in Jerusalem he must have felt oh my goodness and he must have started to think back back those 70 years, and think, that ark, of, that ark of the Covenant has been in the house of Abinadab for nearly 70 years. And he's thinking, how did that come? And it almost seems that when, whenever he heard the news that Obed-Edom was being blessed because the ark of the Covenant was in his house and he was getting, the Gittite was getting the blessing, it seems that light began to dawn in David. Because let's just read what it says. Uh, I'm going to read, uh, this is the New Living Translation, Second Samuel 6, and we'll just go back a little bit, where David was afraid of the Lord, and he asked, how can I ever bring the ark of the Lord back into my care? So David decided not to move the ark of God into the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath, the Gittite. Uh, the ark of the Lord remained there in Obed-Edom's house for three months and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his entire household. See, the presence of God brings a blessing. Then King David was told, the Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's household and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went there and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with great celebrations. I would love that you could catch uh, the, the wonder of this. It says uh, the same story is told in 1 Chronicles chapter 15. It says, Then David and the elders of Israel, verse 25, and the generals of the army went to the house of Obed-Edom to bring the ark of the Lord's covenant up to Jerusalem with a great celebration. And because God was clearly helping the Levites as they carried the ark of God's covenant, you remember they hadn't carried it the first time, they'd just been like the Philistines had put it in the cart. They sacrificed seven bulls and seven lambs. It says in um, verse 13 of chapter 15, uh, first Chronicles. 
uh, where David had said to the Levites, Because you Levites did not carry the ark the first time the anger of the Lord our God burst out against us, we failed to ask God how to move it properly. We failed to ask God how to move it properly. Another translation says, we fail to ask God the proper order. Listen, I believe as we go on in our Christian walk and we get to know God more and more, he expects us to learn from his word what is the proper way to move through life. What is the proper way to carry his presence? Do you know that you and I are tabernacles? We are now the tabernacle. We carry the presence of Christ. Beth was reminding us of it in the prayer room. Each of us, we are living, walking tabernacles because we carry the presence of God. And we, as we get older and the longer we go on, I believe the, the greater things God has planned for us. But God wants us to learn the proper order. He wants us to learn how to move through life properly, carrying the presence and we do that as we learn more and more about his word. And we do that as we obey his word. And when David realized that he hadn't been obeying the Lord, he went and he humbled himself and he did it the right way. And you know what? We need to humble ourselves. And we need to confess our sins, not only to God, but sometimes even to others. We need to actually bring stuff into the light. I'm not saying we blab everything, but it is good. It's a healthy thing. The Bible says to confess your sins one to another. It's good sometimes to bring things into the light and to confess our weaknesses that we might encourage each other because I'll tell you, there's none of us have got it perfect. But God wants us to, to grow and he wants us to learn how to carry his presence. And so David went back and he moved the ark. And here's what it says, David, <clears throat> First Chronicles 15 it says in verse 27, David was dressed in a robe of fine linen, as were all the Levites who carried the ark, and also the singers and the choir leader. David was also wearing a priestly garment. So all Israel brought up the ark of the Lord's covenant with shouts of joy, the blowing of ram's horns and trumpets, and the crashing of cymbals, and loud playing on harps and lyres. Israel lived without the ark for about 70 years. David lived up in Jerusalem without the ark for about three months. I've just written in your notes, both were without the presence of God when they didn't need to be. How long have you, how long have I been living without a sense of God's presence in everything that we do? God wants us to know his presence in everything. God wants to be with us. He wants to be for us. He is a God who loves us. He is a God who wants to be with his people. Scott McKnight says in his book, The Hum of Angels, he says that the, that the um, meaning of commitment is love. Love that is a rugged commitment to be with someone, to be for someone, as we journey in the transformation onto Christ-likeness. Listen. God wants you to know that he's with you. The Bible says that he'll never leave you nor forsake you, but sin can make it seem as if he's afar off. He's still there, but sin can put a barrier between us. The little things that we get wrong, those little things sometimes that offend God that we aren't even aware of, God wants to raise us up to realise, hey, what's the proper order? That we would grow and begin, not to become all religious or anything like that, but to know how to please God, to know how to love him with a pure heart. David was always praying, search me, O God. See if there be any wicked way in me. 
He was always asking God to check him out. And we need to do the same. And God wants us to have a pure heart. He wants us to, to know the joy of being in the bosom of the Father, of being close to his Father, of being close to the Godhead. He wants us to know what it is to enjoy his presence. And you know, the way to enjoy God's presence is to humble ourselves. It's to humble ourselves and recognise that he's God and that as we come to him, that he's already shed his blood and we can approach him and we can tell him all our troubles and we can get the help that we need in time of trouble. And here's the difference in David. In David. From being a man who was disappointed and, and a bit angry and very afraid, a man who, who left the ark in the house of somebody and left it there and went up to Jerusalem and for three months sat and reflected in Jerusalem. From being that man who was hurt and disappointed, all of a sudden we see he realises there's a proper order. I need to get the Levites to carry the ark. God has told me how to do it. And he needs, needed to shed blood. Every time they took, I think it was seven paces, they, they shed the blood of animals. David learned how to do it God's way. And that made all the difference. And I want to tell you that God is always bringing you and I up to another level. He's always wanting to bring us up to another level of being more like Christ. We're in the journey of becoming more Christ-like. And that means a continuous journey because our own nature is so unlike Christ. And, and his main job is getting us more and more, all those little dark corners, bringing them into the light and becoming more and more Christ-like in everything that we do and everything that we say. We start to speak the way God would speak. We begin to speak love and tenderness instead of criticisms and, 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 and backbiting. We begin to use our mouth for his glory. We begin to honour him in, in our giving and, and, and we begin to, to, to move out of a place of unselfishness into a place of generosity, into a place where we show what Christ is like by the way we live. That's such an honour, isn't it? Such an honour to be able to do that. And this means humbling ourselves. Whenever Jerry and I were in, in Vienna earlier on, I think it was last year it was, we went, went to this conference and the, one of the guys who spoke on the Sunday, he talked about David. And he said, David, he brought the ark back, not as a PR stunt for himself, but to have the presence of God. And David worships in a linen ephod, the garment of a, serv of a servant. And he, he made this comment, he made a comment about the importance of personal commitment, not public spectacle. It's about a personal, David wasn't trying to make a public spectacle. He was, this was personal to him. This was between him and God. And you know how he danced. You know how he danced in this linen ephod. He took off the kingly robes. He threw the, all the kingly stuff off him. And he was just in the servant, like a priestly little ephod. And he danced before the Lord unashamed because he wanted to glorify and thank God and so it's the it's the personal commitment that God's after and then it says with the same presence that brought you to where you are that same presence will help you to stand where you are and here's the question when God lifts you up and God exalts you and promotes you will you still pick out the linen he fought that's a good question. Sometimes we get a bit uppity of ourselves and we think we're getting going on now. Listen, God wants us to take the humble place. I want to read that again to you. Will you still pick out the linen ephod when God promotes you? It says here, it's hard to live sacrificially when you are obsessed 
with a superficial. Can we say that again? It's hard to live sacrificially when you're absorbed or obsessed with the superficial. It's not about the crowd. It's about the Lord. Beware of a distraction. Keep the main thing, the main thing. That's a little, just a little note that we, that we wrote down from that day in Vienna that really has never left me. That God wants us to be like David. He wants us to love him personally. It's not about putting on a show. It's about personal commitment and love to the Saviour. It's about devotion to him. It's about dancing before him with the joy of the Lord. When we're in his presence, in his presence there's fullness of joy. And what does it say about joy? It is joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And we need the joy of the Lord to be strong. We need the joy of the Lord to continue and to do all those things that God has done for us. And we need his joy just to get through life. And so David brought up the ark to up to Jerusalem and he brought it up to the city of David. We'll be going to the city of David in a few weeks' time. And uh, he, when he brought the ark up, he had already prepared a place for his for, for a tabernacle. Now, this, I want to get this across because, you know, this is something that's not often spoken about. And I would love that you could catch this. Because David didn't bring the ark to the tabernacle of Moses. It was away in a different place altogether. He brought the ark of the covenant up to the tabernacle of David. It was a tent that he had prepared in Jerusalem. Now, I could prove that to you. Maybe over the next few weeks I will. I'll show you the scriptures where it talks about the, the tent being in a place called Gibeon at the same time as being the tabernacle being in Jerusalem. So for a period of time there was two. There was two tabernacles. The tabernacle of Moses here and the tabernacle of David here. And I want to suggest to you, and I really hope you can get this, it was like a prophetic picture of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Because you see this, this tabernacle of David, you know what they did? They brought the ark in and they put it in the midst of the tent. You know in, David, in, in Moses' tabernacle, it had to go into the holiest of all, and only the priest could go in there once every year, and only then with blood and fear and trembling. But David's tabernacle, it was in the midst. We'll read it to you in a moment. So they could worship around. The priests could go and stand around and worship around the centre. What does that remind you of? It reminds us of how we can, we can meet on a Sunday or any day and we can stand around the presence of God and worship together freely. So these two things were standing as prophetic signs, Old Testament, New Testament. And David, David's tabernacle was a picture of, of the church. And, and it's amazing that for 40 years, David arranged to have the worshippers and the priestly worshippers. For 40 years, they never stopped worshiping in, David, worshiping in David's tabernacle. There was constant worship. You can read through those chapters in, in Chronicles and you'll see that he got all the different orders and they were all on shift. They were all on different shifts and they went at night time to David's tabernacle and they stood in a circle around the ark and they worshipped for 40 years. I mean, what a picture of the church. Because right now, across this world, daytime and nighttime, there is constant worship going up, up to the Lord. Morning, noon and night, because, because of the world being a, a great big circle, it's going on continuously. It's a picture of David's tabernacle. And that's why David's tabernacle is mentioned in Acts chapter 
think it's chapter 15, um, is that what I've said there? Uh, Acts 15, where James actually speaks of it. And because of what was happening, James says, is this not what the prophecy is being fulfilled, that the, that the Gentiles are coming to God? And, and so we see the fulfillment of David's tabernacle taking place after Jesus went back to heaven. Uh, Acts chapter 15, and James said, uh, verse 13, and after they had become uh, silent, James answered saying, men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visit of the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his, for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. And I will, will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things known to God from eternity are all his works. See, God knew right from the beginning of life, from eternity past, he knew what he was going to do. It had been prophesied in Amos, the Old Testament. On that day, he said, whenever Israel, Israel will be restored, he said, I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. Also referred to in Isaiah, which we not bother looking that reference up as well, but it's also a prophetic word about the tabernacle of David in Isaiah as well. So do you get the picture? Do you get the picture of David from being in a place where he had failed, where he was trying to bring the presence up and it all went pear-shaped? He goes up to Jerusalem, he spends a bit of time, he hears the word that, that Obed-Edom is being blessed, and he decides, Lord, I got it wrong. I've got to get this right. And so he goes back and he does it the right way. And God blesses him. And God kickstarts off something that was going to last for 40 years. Worship, non-stop worship in the tabernacle of David for 40 years. You know, if you read some of the Psalms, Psalm 100 and uh, Psalm 134, I think it is. Let me just get it here. Yeah. Behold, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, listen to this, who by night stand in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. Do you get that? Behold, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who by night stand in the house of the Lord. Where is that? That's in, that's in David's tabernacle. Up here in the night watches. They're in there and they're holding up their hands and you know, I believe that as the, as the Ark of the Covenant was there, remember there was the, the great big wings of the cherubim that covered the Ark of the Covenant. I believe as those, um, as those uh, priests and Levites were in worshipping in the tabernacle of David, that they were actually probably down on their knees and probably right underneath those wings. That's how close they could get. Picture of the church. Altogether different scenario from the tabernacle of Moses. This is what God has done for you. I hope and pray you've caught the meaning of this, what it means for us. It means that you and I have the privilege. That's why we can, that's why we can uh, claim for ourselves the words of Psalm 91. That's why we can know that this is a word for us. Here's what it says. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow 
of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in him I will trust. Listen, you and I have the privilege of getting right underneath those wings. We have the privilege of being right in the bosom of the Father. We have the privilege of enjoying God's presence every moment of every day. But you know what? It's it's all about claiming it by faith. It's about humbling ourselves for constant cleansing. Because when we get distracted and we turn away from God and we, we begin to act in ways that don't please God, we distance ourselves. He doesn't distance himself, but we distance ourselves. And we feel it, we begin to feel it. And as we feel that distance, we begin to feel these negative feelings coming up and unbelief and all of this stuff. And before we know it, we're nowhere and we're most unhappy. Because if you trust Jesus as Saviour, you'll never be happy and never have joy unless you're in the presence and you're cleansed. And this is the possibility. This is the opportunity. This is what God says, now is the day. Now is the day. He says, you draw close to me, I'll draw close to you. He said, I'm right here. I, I, want, to, I want you to be with me. But we need, to, we need to do it. We need to learn the proper order. We need to learn to move properly through life. And I believe God's calling us to a higher and a closer walk with him so that he can move through us and bless others. Because as we grow and as we obey him, we become tabernacles that can be used to bless others. And isn't that what God wants to do in all our lives? He wants to bless us just as he spoke to Abraham. He said, I want to bless you. I want to bless you so that you can be a blessing. And that's it exactly yours. That's why we're here. And so, Father, I thank you that as your word has gone forth, I pray that it will go forth, Lord, with power as you place it in the hearts of individuals. God, you know that we are just unable in our flesh to do anything about this, but we trust you that you can take the words that were spoken and that you can plant them as seed into the hearts of the women here today. And I pray, Lord, that every woman here would leave today feeling encouraged to seek the Lord feeling encouraged to come closer, to know that God's longing for them to be with him and that that there is a joy in the presence of God that is unspeakable, that is more than we could even ask or think. Father, I just want to thank you for the opportunity of Eagles today and I pray that your word will not return unto you void. I pray, O God, that today you will give us uh, an undivided heart in all of this. Lord, we know that's our problem. Our heart gets divided. Help us, Lord, to pray the prayer that David prayed. Lord, give me an undivided heart. Help me, Lord, to look into your eyes and say, I surrender to you. I want it your way. Lord, thank you that's the proper order for carrying your presence. Thank you that's the way you want us to move forward. Help us, Lord, to focus our eyes on you, to be at one with you, and to enjoy you, Lord, and to worship you and to shine your love and your light everywhere we go so that we will see you moving in and through us. Father, we praise and thank you for this morning and just entrust ourselves to you. I pray, Lord, as we sing this song that there would be joy released amongst us. I pray that joy would be released and that the woman will go out of here dancing. I pray, Lord, that there would be a dance in their heart and in their feet. I pray, Lord, that you would even give a freedom here 
if anyone wants to jump a bit or jump around because David whirled around and jumped and whirled around and he was unashamed. So Father, we're just unashamed to do it. We love you, Lord, and we want to know, uh, want to show your joy, not just in the words we say, but even in the way we act and even in the way we move. We love you, Lord, and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing this song, and I'm serious, if you want to, if you want to jump around there, just go for it. The song in my heart, the hope of my soul, in the shadows, in the sorrows, in the desert, when the pain hits, you are constant, ever-present, you are the song of my heart. You're the joy, 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 lighting my soul, the joy, 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 making me whole. Though I'm broken, I am running into your arms of love. You're the joy, 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 lighting my soul. And so he is. And it's the joy of the Lord that is our strength. And I'll tell you something, girls. The enemy wants to steal your joy more than anything. And he does it when he makes you feel like the distance from the presence. And it's all lies. He separates us with a web of lies. And sometimes we need each other to remind us of the truth. But the thing is that Jesus Christ has promised that he will never leave you. His blood avails for you. There's a mercy seat. There's always a way to be close. I'm just wondering, you know, I heard recently of somebody who's away from the Lord for most of her life. Could it be possible that there would be someone who for 70 years, just like Israel, was living without that conscious sense of, of the presence of God? Three months that happened for David, that's long enough. We don't even want it to be three months. We don't even want it to be three minutes. We want to learn to live in the presence of God and to know his joy and his strength. And in these days, I'll tell you, the enemy is trying his best to rob us of that joy. So we're here. If you want to pray, we'd love to pray with you. And I, I tell you something, and I just put this, I just come to my mind, so I'm going to say it. I really feel that we need to remind ourselves that, yes, the joy of the Lord is supernatural and it, it, it can overcome anything. But we need to remind ourselves that we have an enemy who does not want us to experience this joy. So it isn't always easy. I don't want to make this come as if this is an easy thing. But I want to tell you it's a possible thing. With God, it's possible. And uh, I read these words. It's, it's a song that Deborah wrote in, in Judges chapter 5. And here's what she sung Deborah sung this, and I think we could sing it over ourselves. March on with courage, my soul. March on. Speak to yourself. When you feel that you're getting a bit distance, or you feel unbelief creeping in, or you're feeling a bit down, or you've got negative emotions, speak to your soul the way David did. David often spoke to himself. Why are you cast down on my soul? Hope thou in God, for I'll yet trust him for the hope of his deliverance. God can do it, girls. But we need, to, we need, there's a battle, and we need to at times have this courage. We need to march with God with courage and to move on and to speak it to our soul. So thank you, everybody, for coming. We'll see you over the next few weeks, God willing. And again, we're here to pray if you want prayer.